Hey, this is Jeff Dixon, and I'm the pastor of Water Life Miami here in Miami, Oklahoma, and this is our podcast. I hope the next few minutes encourage you and cause you to live a life further after the things of God. Enjoy. We're going to talk this morning about what it means uh, to be a success. And I want to give you a little bit of my background. I spent 15 years in broadcasting. Uh, my dream was to someday be a rock and roll disc jockey in Chicago back when they had real rock and roll DJs and it wasn't all, you know, jukeboxes with uh, recorded voices. Uh, I wound up doing country in Atlanta instead of uh, rock and roll in uh, Chicago. But fortunately, God took me to Atlanta so I could meet my wife, uh, Marcia. And I think you've all, you all have met Marcia. And of course, if there's a baby and and there's an opportunity. Marcia's going to hold that baby, which she is doing. Thank you for, 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 for having that baby so she can hold it. <laughs> uh, and uh, uh, over a period of years, I moved out of uh, uh, announcing and in, into broadcast management, sales and management. Wound up managing a radio station in Liberty, Texas when I was uh, only 23. And that was, anybody know where Liberty, Texas is? You haven't missed anything, okay? Third oldest city in the state of Texas, and we knew we were in in trouble when we got there. I went to a realtor's office, and he said, son, I wish you luck. My great-great-grandparents came here 185 years ago, and I'm still an outsider. You ever been in one of those types of situations? So I spent a little time in Liberty, Texas. That was my first management experience. Fortunately, was able to build from that and ultimately wound up uh, managing a real radio station in Blackwell, Oklahoma, and wound up, uh, he said proudly, uh, managing what was uh, what was awarded the Radio Station of the Year Award. And now I have thought, I've reached a pinnacle of success, I'm being recognized, I'm being honored for my work, and it was a very short time later than that, I was fired. I couldn't understand. Here, we had just become radio station of the year, small market radio station of the year in Oklahoma, and, and to be let go, I mean, it just didn't, didn't make any sense to me. Uh, the, 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 there was a ch- change of ownership at the radio station, and the, and, and the new owner wanted his own man in there, and, and I can kind of understand that, but still, when your career is your God, and my career was my God, on July 16, 1979, that God died, and I had nothing to hold on to. I was, I was devastated. I cannot even begin to describe to you the depression, the, 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 the I mean, just whatever's the most important thing in your life is your God. For some people, that's their family, their, their, their children. For some people, it's their career, like it was for me. For, for some people, it's since this is deer season, for some people, it's deer hunting. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you understand? Uh, hey, I grew, I grew up in deer country. You know, I, I, I understand this. Uh, I could have worn my boots today. I'm from Oklahoma. Uh, Western Oklahoma at that, Northwest Oklahoma at that, real cowboy country. Went to Oklahoma State. I mean, you know, you get kind of get the picture. Uh, but my God died. My, <clears throat> my God died. But the best thing that happened out of that is I found the true and living God a year later. 
uh, August the 28th, just over a year later, I knelt on the floor of a, of a friend's home in its living room, and uh, I went over there specifically for the purpose of getting filled with his spirit. Now, in retrospect, I realized I not only got filled with the spirit, I had to get safer. You know, you have to get saved before you get filled. And that night in his living room, I actually had an encounter with the living God, and I was born again. And it's been 38 years. Wow, seems like it was only yesterday. And, and a short time after that, uh, after floundering in a, in a dead-end job for about a year or so, maybe a year and a half, I was managing an appliance store in Ponca City, and it burned down. I mean, you know, it just seemed like, yeah, I mean, what, what, what else could go wrong, right? Uh, but then I was offered an opportunity to manage another radio station. This one in Guthrie. Guthrie? Yeah, this one in Guthrie. A momentary lapse of memory. Uh, this, this one in Guthrie, and we were there, what, about six or seven months? And guess what? I got fired again. The, guy, the owner decided he wanted his brother-in-law in there to run the radio station. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Judges. In Judges, the sixth chapter, and I love this story. I love Old Testament Bible stories. Judges chapter 6 is the story of Gideon. Now, let me give you the backstory here. Uh, Israel had been disobedient, had forsaken God. So God sent the Midianites, which was a band of marauding raiders, to literally destroy Israel. Now, it was not God's intention for them to completely wipe them out, but it was his intention to make them miserable enough that they, that they would turn from the living God or turn back to the living God. In fact, if you read through the book of Judges, Judges, excuse me, I'd rather, I'd rather embarrass myself by blowing my nose in front of you by having, than having snot drip down my lips. So pardon me while I deal with my allergies. Uh, now you know where Jeff gets it. Not the allergies, the uh, nose. <laughs> anyway, so the Midianites practiced scorched earth policy. They would, they would come through Israel about the time the crops would come up. They would steal what they wanted and destroy the rest. Uh, the cattle, what cattle they didn't want, they would destroy. I mean, it was just, it was a bad, bad time. And throughout history, the, Israel would, would forsake God. They'd get out of their disobedience. They'd, they'd suffer. And then they'd cry out to God. And God would send them a judge. And then they would get right for a while. But then pretty soon they'd lapse into disobedience again. And here would come the challenges again. And then after the challenges, they would cry out to God. And he would raise up another judge. And he would deliver them. Well, one of those in that series of events was Gideon. And the Midianites were just, they were destroying Israel. And Gideon was in a wine press, which is, you know, a, a hole, okay, where they go down, you know, they trump the grapes, uh, threshing wheat. Now, you're supposed to thresh wheat up maybe on a hillside because you toss the, 
the, the, the wheat and the, and, and the stuff up and, and the shaft blows away and the wheat falls back down. But if he'd have been out there doing it like that, the Midianites would have seen him and they would have stolen his wheat. So he's hiding in this wine press while he's threshing the wheat, trying to get something. And, and I can just imagine because there's no wind down in there to blow the stuff. He must just be covered with crud. You know what I'm saying? And an, the angel of the Lord, and, and many theologians believe when the Bible says the angel of the Lord, this was the pre-incarnate Jesus appearing, he said, all of a sudden, appearing out of nowhere, Hail Gideon, almighty man of valor, the Lord is with you. And Gideon says, huh? Who, me? you got to be kidding. Do you have any idea who I am? He says, of all the tribes in Israel, my tribe is the least. He was of the tribe of Manasseh, which was the half-tribe of Joseph. Of all the tribes of Israel, my tribe is the least. And of all of the clans, of all of the tribes in Israel, my clan is the least. And of all of the clans, of all of the tribes of Israel, my family is the least. And of all of the families in Israel, I am the least. You've got to be confusing me with somebody. Can you imagine telling God he's got you confused with somebody else? But that's where Gideon was. He said, man, you, you, you must be thinking about someone else. And Gideon said, go in your power and save your country. And if you read the rest of the story, Gideon took 300 unarmed men and destroyed the army of the Midianites. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you for the word that you've given me today, and I pray that as I share this word, that it will go deep in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, pray that our ears will be open to hear, our minds will be open to understand, our hearts will be open to, to receive, and that we'll come out of here saying it was good to be in the presence of God and to receive from him. This we pray in Christ's name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. So the angel of the Lord said to Gideon, Go in your power and save your country. He's saying, you have permission to succeed. And that's exactly what we're talking about today. We're talking about permission to succeed. And, and our te actual text this morning is found in the book of Colossians. And if you'll turn there with me, we're going to be looking at Colossians uh, chapter 1. Uh, I think my, my notes said, here said nine, but Colossians chapter one, verses nine through 12. But I'm going to begin reading from the first verse to lay the foundation for this, okay? It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ in Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this, you have heard before the word of truth, the gospel, which he has come to you as indeed, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world is bearing fruit and increasing 
as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Say grace of God. God. You see, it's all about grace. God's, God's really been speaking to me probably in the last six months or so or maybe longer. It's all about grace. When you fail, it's God's grace that brings you back. It's God's grace that's, that, that, that brought me to salvation on August the 28th, 1980. I didn't deserve it. I had contemplated dying. We were, we were in dire financial straits. You all know what dire financial straits means? Hopefully you don't know what it is, but you know what it means. Some of you may know what it is. Uh, we were in dire financial straits, and it was late at night, and those of you who know... Uh, Highway 64, uh, between I-35 and Enid, there's an underpass there uh, that's the Covington Turnoff. Anybody know that road? Okay. Yeah, you know, okay. And, And it's late at night, and I thought, you know, I could go back and, 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 hit that thing at 85 mile an hour or so, which is probably all the faster my car would have gone, Uh, hit that thing at 85 mile an hour. At that hour, nobody would know, but when I fell asleep at the wheel, and then that just get me out of my misery. But but, but I, I, I wasn't looking, I wasn't depressed to the point I was wanting to die. I was looking for a financial solution to my situation. And then it dawned on me, that wasn't going to work because I didn't have enough insurance to, to sustain Marsha and the boys who were, of course, little at that time. So I just crossed that one off my list as an option. It was a financial decision, not, not, a, not, a, uh, not a decision of whether I wanted to die, end it all or not. I was just looking for ways to, to figure out how to get through this thing. Because, you see, I felt like a failure. I had reached what I thought was a pinnacle, not the pinnacle of success, because this is a small market radio station in north central Oklahoma, but I'd reached a level of success over which I had developed pride. And because I thought I had arrived, but the rug had been pulled out from under me, I felt like a failure. Can you imagine what Gideon was feeling like? Here's the angel of the Lord that says, Hail Gideon, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon's covered in chaff down there in this hall and thinking, huh, got to be some mistake here. Well, the church of Colossae had, had been struggling because there were people who would come into the church and said, it's not about grace, it's about works. You, you need to, you, they're called Judaizers, the ones that said, you need to become like Jews. That means, guys, circumcision, all right? I mean, that's pleasant thinking. Uh, and, and following all of the rules of, of Judaism. And, and Paul has already told them, listen, it's not about works, it's about grace. It's not about mutilating yourselves. It's about living in the grace of God. And so it says... Uh, just as you learned from learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, and has made known to us your love, love in the Spirit. And so, from this day we heard, and from the day we heard, 
we have not ceased to pray for you, and this is our, our text for today, not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance, inheritance of the saints and life. As I was studying this text, there were three things that struck me, okay? When, when, when you examine the scripture, you have to ask yourself three questions, and these are the qu three questions I was asking of myself before I told Pastor Jeff, yes, I, I believe God's got a word. Number one is, what? What is God telling us to do? Okay? The second one is, why is he telling us to do that? And the third one is, how do we get it done? Because it does not do any good. And, well, I wish, you know, in 20 years of preaching now, more than 20 years of preaching now, uh, probably 25 years of preaching, I wish I could go back and re-preach some of those messages because I owe, I owe a lot of people an apology because I preached a lot, of, a lot of what and why, but I left out the how. And I want to pre preach about the what and the why, but before we leave this morning... I also want to give you a how. Because it doesn't do any good to tell you how, what to do if you don't know how to do it. Would you all agree with that? Amen. Amen. So, somebody keep, I'll, I'll, I, well, no, that's a tambourine. I was looking for a clock back there. i tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to preach till I'm done. And if I'm done in 15 minutes, I'm done. And if I'm done, if I preach for a week and a half, I'll be preaching to empty chairs, I realize. But uh, I'm just going to preach until, until I feel like I've told you everything that God wants me to tell you. And, uh, and, and we'll take it from there. He says, I pray that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing here to him. That's the what. What is Paul praying for? Paul is praying that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. We need to know what God's will is for our lives. My problem sometimes isn't, <coughs> excuse me, isn't not knowing its will, it's being willing to do it. Okay, but the first thing Paul's saying is, I'm praying that you be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And that would be my prayer for you this morning, that you would know the will of God for your life. You need to know God's will for your life. I can tell you one thing. It was God's will for you to be here this morning. Wow. I talk about enjoying the presence of God during worship. Good job. Just, I mean, you could sense the presence of God following this place. And it came through the worship. God wants us to be filled with the knowledge of his will, of his will for, 
for you to be here. It was will for me to be his will for me to be here. I don't know who's going to get what out of this. Somebody's going to get something out of what I've got to share today. It may just be me. I may be the only one that gets anything today, but oftentimes it's the, the message preaches to the preacher more than it preaches to the congregation. And I may be the only one that gets in and out of this thing, but my prayer has been that everyone here would have something to take home with them. That you would be able to walk in a manner of worthy of his will. How? With all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In order to know his will, you've got to understand. Now, Marsha and I have been married 47 years. And for the first year or so, we didn't understand each other. For the second year or so, we may not have understood each other. It took a long time for us to really come to the point where we understood each other. One of the challenges we face in marriages is learning to understand how the other one thinks. And we didn't bring any copies of our book, God's Blueprint for Marriage, with us, but that's one of the things that we talk about is, is how to learn how the other one thinks. Well, the only way I can learn how God thinks is the same way that it's the only way I can learn how Marcia thinks. The only way I can learn how God thinks is to by spending time with God. The only way I can learn how to understand Marcia is to spend time with her. The only way I will understand God is to spend time with him. I spend time with him in his word. I spend time with him in his prayer. I spend time in him in listening to other preachers preach the word. One of my favorite preachers, I always look forward to hearing Pastor Jeff's podcast midweek. He's one, become one of my favorite preachers. It's almost like listening to me preach sometimes. And, uh, and, and, and these are ways, and spending time with, with other Christian people, getting to know God through his word, through the preaching of the word, through the ministry of the word, and spending time with like-minded believers. So that we have the knowledge of his will in all spiritual understanding, so as to walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. We need to please God. How many of you want to please God? Anybody not want to please God here? You're in the wrong place, if, the, if that's the case. Or maybe you don't want to please God now, but by the time I'm through, hopefully you'll recognize the fact that you, you... It's not a case of needing to please God. Everybody knows they need to. What you've got to do is reach a point that you want to please God. And that's what Paul's praying, is that you'll, you'll reach a point where you want to please God, walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's the what. So that we know his will, so we can please him, so we can walk worthy of the calling. Now, the question then becomes, why? Well, let's see if we can find a why here, okay? Paul prays for wisdom and understanding, first of all, so that we might be fruitful. Say fruitful. One of you said it. Okay. Everybody say fruitful. 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 God wants us to be fruitful. You know, when we talk about success, man looks at success differently than the way God looks at success. The way God looks at success. Uh, I looked at success as being recognized as the manager of the radio station of the year. That, to me, was successful. How, how, how does man measure success? Well, one of the ways man measures success 
is by fame, fortune, power. He's a self-made man. He is so successful. He has lots of money in the bank. He has lots of toys. We measure success by the number of toys that we have, right? Uh Uh-huh. We measure success... We measure success by our one lost record, right? I mean, <laughs> University of Arkansas now is two and nine. I would not call that a successful season. University of Oklahoma has a successful season. I went to Oklahoma State. I watched the OSU OEU game, and I watched as uh, Coach Gundy decided they were going to go for the win and fell short. That was an unsuccessful attempt to win the game. We measure success one way. God measures success in a different way than we do. God doesn't measure by how much how many toys we have. God doesn't measure by how much power we have, how much how much authority we have, how many of of, of those things that 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 man looks and measures success. God measures success. Differently. And when we look at fruit, yeah. My pastor in Tulsa, our pastor in Tulsa has ten kids. Some would say they were fruitful. How many? No, how many do you have now? Three and we're done. Three, three and done. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Any mine any meeny miny and no mo. Yeah. Uh, but how does God measure fruitfulness? Well, it says that that he measures fruit by our good work. It says, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing of, in the knowledge of God. Works don't save us. Now, when I, when I <coughs> reached that point in my life where I knew I needed Jesus... I was a deacon in the church. I was a Sunday school director. We led youth ministry. Uh, we, we had the key to the place. I mean, you know, we, 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 we opened up and we closed down. But, but we were both lost because our works, although they were good, weren't saving us. It was the personal relationship with Jesus Christ that we had to have in order to achieve Salvation. Though we're not saved by our works, we are saved for our works, and the fruit is the good works that we do. Now, it says more about that. It talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And it says in Galatians chapter 5 that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It says against those things, there is no law. So is there fruit in your life? Are you bearing fruit in your life? Well, let me ask you this. Is there joy in your life? If there's joy in your life, that's fruit. Is there peace in your life? If there's no peace in your life, you need some fruitfulness. If there's no patience, oh, now I'm meddling with somebody. If there's no patience in your life, You need some fruitfulness. How about kindness? 
patience. You know, if I point one finger at you, I'm pointing three back at myself. I realize that, okay? God's still working on me in the area of patience. I mean, you'd think at some point in my life I'd get the understanding of what patience is, but God's especially dealing with me in the area of ignorant drivers. Amen. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. The other day, I'm in the left-hand lane, which is supposed to be the fast lane, right? I'm doing, I'm, I'm behind this guy. The speed limit is 45, and he's doing 35 in the left-hand lane. And, of course, I'm in a hurry. Anybody ever in a hurry? Isn't that when every light is red? Isn't that when that guy, that idiot in the left-hand lane does 35? See what I'm talking about? I was impatient. Not only was I impatient, I had an attitude problem toward that guy, didn't I? And our pastor in, 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 in Rogers, he and I, we have a lot in common. One of the facts that God's still working with him in the area of, of patience too. And he would say, it's the right-hand long skinny pedal, put it to the floor. And that's, that's exactly what I was saying. It's his fault I was thinking that because I would never have thought of those terms and he not said it. But that was what I was thinking. It's the, it's the long skinny pedal on the right side, push it to the floor. And then I realized that I had an attitude problem toward that guy and I had a patience problem. And I still have a patience problem. We were in uh, Springfield uh, celebrating our other son's daughter's 18th birthday. I know we don't look old enough to have an 18-year-old granddaughter, but it's true. Uh, we do have an 18-year-old granddaughter. Somebody just snickered. Uh, and uh, I'm amazed at how many people think that the left-hand lane, even though there's nobody in the right-hand lane, it's okay to go 60 mile an hour in the left-hand lane in the 70 mile an hour speed limit. It's, am I the only one that gets bugged by that? No. Okay? No, okay. Uh, at least I'm not... And I ask that because I want you to know you're not alone, okay? I deal with the same issues that you deal with. The only difference between you and me is I'm older. So if there's no faithfulness in your life, if there's no gentleness in your life, you need, some, you, you, you need to produce some fruit, okay? So, so Paul is praying that we might be fruitful. Say fruitful. Okay, everybody say fruitful. Fruitful. See, this is a dialogue. It's not a monologue, all right? Fruitful. All right, then the second thing that Paul prays for is that we might be powerful. Say powerful. 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 It's, it says that being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and, oh, here's that word again, patience. patience. Well, if we're talking about power, how can we talk about patience? I'm glad I asked that question on your behalf. I'm going to answer it for you, okay? What is, what is endurance and patience? You have to understand, God's calling us to be humble, humility. And humility isn't, ah, shucks. And, and, and being a, you know, a, uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of where you just kind of, you know, you melt away and, and, and you... I'm just, a, I'm just a worm and not a man. I'm a nobody. That's, that's not humility. That's self-deprecation. Humility, by definition, is power 
under control. Nobody had more power and more authority than Jesus. And yet in Philippians chapter 2, it says, He humbled himself, taking on the form of a bondservant, a voluntary slave. Humility is power under control. And, and we need the power, but it needs to be under control. Now, now, first of all, where does the power come from? It comes from God. It comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us the power. And then who gives us the control over that power so that we can operate in humility? It's the same Holy Spirit. We operate in humility when we operate in the power of God. So we need that power. We, we need the Holy Spirit. I know Pastor Jeff has said last week or the week before, but then in a few weeks he's going to be preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we're, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit too, and we'll leave a lot of it for him later. But I, I want you to understand this. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that we're talking about here. Man sees power as influence, uh, authoritarian, dominating. God sees power differently. He sees it as, as his power in our lives under his control. In the book of John, as Jesus is, I mean, I'm sorry, the book of Luke, as Jesus is wrapping things up with his disciples, he says, Behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Where's the power coming from? From on high. And then in Acts chapter 1, just before he leaves for the last time, or not the last time because he's coming back, just before he, he leaves them, <coughs> he, they said, uh, after he told them, wait till you're due with power on tithe, he says, he says we're going to give you that power. And, and they say, now, Lord, is this the time that you're going to come back and restore the kingdom in Jerusalem? They still didn't get it. They still thought that he was going to establish a, a, an earthly kingdom. Well, he did. But we're that kingdom. Amen. We're that kingdom. But he said, it's not for you to know the time or the season that I'm going to come back. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Judusa, uh, Judusa, uh, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth. Prior to August of 1980, I'd hired a, a sales guy. He was one of them there, charismatics. Drove me nuts. I mean, drove. He was one of the most obnoxious human beings I've ever met in my life. And I came to realize that it was he wasn't obnoxious because he was a charismatic. He was just obnoxious. He was obnoxious before he got filled with the Holy Spirit, and he was obnoxious after he got filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's just who he was. But praise God for his obnoxiousness because he's the one that planted the seeds in me for the realization that I needed something that I did not have. So, 
where, uh, um, I forget where I was. There was a point to that. And those of you who've heard me preach before know that there's always at some point in the message that I forget where I'm going with, with something. So wherever it was, it'll come back to me. Uh, oh, I remember what it was. See, I thought, I thought he was saying, Jim, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so you can pe- speak in tongues. As if, in my mind, that's what it was about. Being filled with the Holy Spirit was so that you could speak in tongues. <coughs> I look at the scripture, it doesn't say tongues, it says power. You will receive tongues when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's what I thought he was saying. Even though that's not what the scripture says, it says you will receive power when the Holy Spirit. The real evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is the power to witness. Now, tongues is part of the package. Every spirit-filled believer should speak in tongues. But that's not what it's for. That's not what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is for. That's not why the Holy Spirit comes into your life is so you can speak in tongues. It's so you can have a power to witness for God. And you start in your own neighborhood, in your Jerusalem, then it goes from there to your Judea. We're in our Judea right now. Samaria would be, I don't know, the next state over, Nebraska. All right, And then the uttermost parts of the earth. Marcia and I do ministry works in Peru, and, and, and Aaron has gone with us. Uh, and has done ministry work in Peru. That's our uttermost parts of the earth. But if the whole idea here is that we need the power. The power to live a Christian life. Now, I'll have to admit, without the Holy Spirit in my life, I'm powerless. Without the Holy Spirit in my life, I'd be a terror. I was a really good sinner, okay? I mean, I was really good at sinning. Can y'all identify with what I'm saying? Anybody here would say, hey, Jim, I'm a, I was a really good sinner, or maybe you'd say, I am a really good sinner. I was a really good sinner because I was powerless to say no. I did not have what I needed in my life to live victoriously. And I was constantly in a state of spiritual failure because I had no spiritual power. So God wants us to be fruitful. Say fruitful. fruitful. Say fruitful. fruitful. He wants us to be powerful. Say powerful. powerful. And he wants us to be thankful. Say thankful. thankful. Paul prays for wisdom and understanding that we might be thankful. It's, he says, with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of life. Thankful. What have I got to be thankful for? My bills are past due. I got I got a mortgage mortgage I can't pay. The trucks broke down and I ain't got nothing to pay the bills with. My tires are going flat. What am I what have I got to be thankful for for crying out loud? Well I'll tell you, one of the things you've got to be thankful for is the last breath you just drew. Hey, but let's let's look let's look beyond that. Because the thing that Paul is saying that we need to be thankful for is that he has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints of in line. We are joint heirs with Jesus. Amen. You know what that means? 
That means Jesus is our brother. We are joint heirs, joint heirs with him. And everything that the father owns is ours by inheritance. Woohoo! Everything. Most of us don't understand how what that means. But what that means is we've got it made. We can be thankful of the fact that God knows our situation. He knows our circumstances. God, you just have no idea what I'm going through. God sees the end from the beginning. Absolutely, he knows what you're going through. Not only does he know what you're going through, he knows the outcome. And, And if you're walking with him in his power and with thankfulness, the outcome's going to be to your benefit, to your advantage. God's never going to do anything to your to his kids that's going to cause them to be a disadvantage. How many parents do we have in here? Okay. Would you ever do anything to your children to create a disadvantage for them and ever intentionally do anything to create a disadvantage for them? Of course not. Well, why would your heavenly father ever do anything that would create for you a disadvantage. He doesn't want you to be at a disadvantage. He wants you to have advantage. And see, you can take assurance that no matter what you're going through right now, he knows the outcome. He knows the end from the beginning. He's not going, I wonder how this is going to turn out. Hmm. He even knows the decisions you're going to make that are going to create the turnout. He, I, I don't believe he forces those decisions on you, but he knows what the decisions are going to be. just blows my mind how he knows that stuff. But think about it. He knew that we would be here today, and I, he already knew what I would be preaching before I preached it. He already knows what I'm going to say next when I have no idea what's going to come out of my mouth next. And those of you who have heard me preach before know exactly what I'm talking about. He already knew. Close my mind. He wants us to be thankful. What do we get when we're thankful? We get to be in his presence. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. We enter his courts with praise. We enter his gates with thanksgiving. We enter his courts with praise. And then we get to enter into the holy of holies, the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place with the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a true heart and full of assurance of faith. Now, the blood of Jesus. There can be no fruit. There can be no power. And there's nothing to be thankful for without the shed blood of Jesus Christ. It starts at the cross. I said it starts at the cross. That's where it starts. What do we have most to be thankful for? The cross. So, we know the the what, we know the why, and now we've touched on the how. Look with me at Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And again, the backstory: story. Uh, the disciples have been obedient. They've gone 
to Jerusalem, to the upper room. Many believe it's the same upper room where they celebrated the Last Supper. And there was 120 people gathered there, <coughs> hiding. It's, it, 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 it's a high holy holiday. It's Pentecost, which is one of the three major holidays of the Jewish faith. And every Jew, every Jewish male is commanded to go to Jerusalem at Pentecost. So you can imagine the crowd that's there. Because when the men go, the families go with them, right? So, so the place is packed out. Jesus has been crucified. The rumor is they're going after the rest of these guys. So they're hiding in an upper room, in an attic, if you will. They're hiding in an attic when the Holy Spirit shows up. And the Holy Spirit is the manifest presence of Jesus in our lives. And the Bible says they were all in one accord, in one place. They were all together in one place. They were all unity in unity of mind in one place. And suddenly there was a sound of like a violent rushing wind. And it says that there appeared tongues of fire that appeared and, and descended upon each of them. And they all began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What happened? They got filled with the Spirit. The presence of God filled the room, filled them. And one minute they're hiding in an attic for fear that they're going to be killed, and the next minute they're out on the street testifying to the grace of God, telling people about Jesus. What happened? What happened? It was the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit came upon them. And because of the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be fruitful. We can be powerful. Because it's not our power, it's his. And because we're fruitful, because his power is resident within us, we are First Corinthians fifteen fifty seven says, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what happened with Gideon? Again, he had the victory. Why? Because the pre-incarnate Jesus, the the, the, the theology word is Christophanes. That's 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 the pre-incarnate Jesus, not that anybody's going to remember that word. Pre-incarnate Jesus came and told him, you have permission to succeed. Go succeed. So what is my message to you this morning? My message is, is Paul's prayer. You need permission to succeed? Okay, I give it to you right now. You have permission to succeed. Well, I sure hope you've enjoyed today's podcast. I hope it's challenged you and enriched your life. I hope it's helping you live a life closer to service with Jesus Christ. 
hey, if it's done anything for you today, if it's meant anything, we can use your support. And there's several ways you can do that. First off, you can pray for us. Pray as we're doing our church plant here in northeastern Oklahoma that God is totally blessing all of our efforts. But also in the area of support, if you want to give financially to what we're doing, you can go to our website at wlmiama.com. That's W-L-M-I-A-M-I. Dot com and click on the Give tab and go through the process there to contribute. And also, if you are in the area near Miami, Oklahoma on a Sunday morning, why don't you join us for our live experience at 10 a.m.? We'd love to see you. God bless.